0: For me, market research is about removing the doubt, stopping stopping guessing, I'm giving you a more definitive answer. <laughs> you know, often when companies small and big make decisions and make investment choices, they're doing it on gut feel or who has the strongest opinion in the room. And doing market research when it's the right thing to do just takes away that element of doubt and points to the right direction, the right choice to make.
1: Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At Umi, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information expertise in finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This conversation is with global market research expert and serial entrepreneur, Lisa hart Shepherd. Lisa made a name for herself as the founder and CEO of market research company Acritas, which developed the Sharp Legal Program, now thought to be the world's most comprehensive annual study of the legal market, and which Lisa sold to media conglomerate Thomson Reuters in 2019. Aquitas took Lisa all over the world working with global top 100 law firms and so in this conversation we go right back to the beginning and find out where Lisa's entrepreneurial drive came from and of course how that propelled her to achieving the kind of international renown in the market research space that she has today. We also talk about what Lisa has learned along the way about starting and growing a successful business the challenges associated with trying to make an impact in international markets, navigating recessions, pandemics and other hard times, and then what you have to consider both on a professional and personal level when the time comes to sell your business. I found Lisa to be very modest about her achievements, but clearly she's been incredibly dedicated and hardworking throughout her career and reaped the benefits of that, so I think that really does shine through in this conversation. And of course, if you're thinking about the benefits of market research for your business, then you really should listen to what Lisa has to say. So this is the market researcher who took the legal sector by storm, Lisa Shepherd. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast, Lisa, and thanks for taking the time to come down and do this in person. Uh, I saw your post on LinkedIn yesterday, kind of reflecting on your experience of remote working over the last couple of years so let's maybe start there you know and just right. talk about how the last couple of years have, have kind of been for you.
0: Yeah and great to be here. Um, so went with the pandemic obviously it was a huge change for everyone and um, we were told to work from home immediately by that point I had sold the business so kind of those types of decisions were no longer my own and um, so they took the ultra cautious route of allowing us to work from home for a couple of years basically. Um, And during that time, they also decided, well, actually, everyone's still productive at work. So we're actually going to close the office completely. So I think it was okay when everybody knew it was short term. But when you were suddenly like, this is going to be my life now, (laughs) just sitting at home um, with all all the distractions. And for me, it was quite a lonely experience. And so I knew that coming out of when I left the business, that whatever I did next, I wanted to reintroduce that component of mixing with people and. That more creative environment.
1: Yeah, so that was a big part of the motivation, I guess, for, for setting up the, the Lamp House, which obviously we'll, we'll come on to. But um, if we do just sort of rewind a little bit. So, yeah, you, you sold your business in 2019, is, yes, is that that's right? right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah uh, uh, to you know a, a kind of uh, multinational media uh, company and have and obviously had tremendous success all throughout your career. But I guess looking back, did you ever you know did you ever sort of imagine that that would be the case um did you know, Did you ever imagine that you'd have such a sort of phenomenally successful career all you know going all over the world and things like that sort of how do you How do you look back on that and then yeah. perhaps that'll lead us into talking a little bit about your kind of background and things like that
0: I think I knew I would always start a business um because my parents ran their own business. And I think if you grow up in that, you're sort of used to living with the daily stress, but also the highs and the lows, it becomes quite addictive. Um, so I always knew I'd do a business. I, I guess the international thing kind of grew with the business. I didn't always expect to do that. But yeah, looking back, it's been a certainly an interesting, challenging and fun journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned there that, that your parents uh, were both in business. So I guess were they quite strong role models for you growing up you know when you were when you were younger did you kind of see them you know going out putting in those extra hours kinds of things I think when you are running your own business it's certainly not kind of nine to five right is it it's it's just sort of all, all hours so did that make quite a strong impression on you would you say?
0: Yeah particularly around the um, sort of looking at all angles the attention to detail because I think being in an SME which that they are it kind of you have to think about everything from the finance to the marketing to the sales to production to client service, so it becomes a, a much more rounded experience and just that that requirement to to look at everything from all angles.
1: Yeah, and, and was there ex, was there an expectation that you would start your own business as well from them, or or, Not or, so or much were they just from happy for
0: you to? I think because because they until you've lived it you don't know but they're aware of the stresses and strains and the downsides as well of running your own business and I think because they I had gone down quite an academic route early on um, they thought I'd work for a big company which I did do initially um, and I think they thought well that's very glorious and bright lights and didn't expect me necessarily to go whereas my brother went straight into the family business and that was going to be more his route.
1: Ah right, okay, okay, yeah. So you mentioned kind of academics and things like that. Obviously, you studied uh, mathematics and management science at university. So, yeah, is it were you always like fairly academically gifted? With a certain subjects you liked more than others, or were, were you a um, kind of overachiever? If you no. like, from a from a young age,
0: um, in the math field, yes, I would say, um, but certainly not fully rounded. English was my weakest spot, (laughs) which I think this is an interesting thing that people can sort of develop and change their skill set. I think I'm I'm much better at writing now. So you can learn over time. Don't assume that your weaknesses are going to stay weaknesses forever. Um, So yes, it it came more easily to me, but I would certainly not fully rounded.
1: Okay. Okay. So yeah, I guess what options were kind of available to you when you started thinking about university and then where did the idea of, because I guess a lot of people might just do core mathematics or accountancy or, or, or something like that. So obviously the kind of management science aspect, was that because you had this kind of uh, business influence from, from your parents and things like that? What was that course like?
0: It was really good actually. Um, and originally I went in majoring in maths and management was the, the sort of minor if you like, and I actually flipped that by the end because I really enjoyed more. Um, At university, it's very, very hardcore, the mathematics that you do. And I didn't enjoy it as much as I did for my A-levels. So I flipped more to the business side, which I found much more interesting. But actually during while I was at university, one of my summers, I worked as an intern um, doing a market research project. And that's when I really saw the two coming together and thought suddenly oh my goodness, I know what career I want, which up until that point, which was probably around the first year of uni, I think, I hadn't known what I was going to do after university, yeah. but just something happens and you get that experience and you immediately think, that's it. That's what I want yeah.
1: to do. Yeah, no, I, I, very very much the same for myself. And I think a lot of people are like that, where you, you kind of go to university with, with a broad set of interests and, and sometimes there's just that kind of aha moment. Yeah. And for you, that was, I guess, market market research, yeah. bringing those mathematics skills Together with the business. Okay. Okay. So in terms of out of university then, you started working as a business analyst. So is is was that mark was that market research type roles or was it more kind of business processes and, and things like that that you were doing?
0: Um, no, it was a market research agency okay. um, and it worked for all the bigger FMCG companies. So at that point I moved down south um, working for brilliant brands like walkers pepsi disney <laughs> and mars all of those and really learning the science of research so you know if they were changing a product or they had merchandising to test um, all of those things would go out and do the truly scientific market research okay
1: okay and i guess how how's market research kind of evolved would you say in terms of since those early experiences are uh, some aspects of it quite the same because of course the digital uh, element, I guess, has has probably really increased over the course of your career. But are some of those core kind of skills that you sort of nurtured early on still very relevant?
0: Yeah, there's some things that have stayed consistent, question design and analysis techniques. Those things have stayed the same, but in terms of the way data is captured, a lot of it's more around looking backwards and behavioral trends now that all of these big companies can record everything through loyalty cards Um, and and watching behaviours online. So it has hugely changed, um, but some of the core components of stage still system. Still there, okay.
1: Um, And in in terms of any other kind of formative experiences you had growing up that that really informed that that, um, desire to pursue market research and and business, are there any other things that come to mind or was it just kind of the stars aligned, I guess, a little (laughs) bit for you if you had this background where your parents were... In business, and obviously a, a really strong aptitude for, for for maths and and the applications that that has for, for market research. But are there any are there any of the kind of formative experiences that come I think to mind?
0: That project that I did, um, and it was actually for a garden centre randomly, <laughs> um, <laughs> and doing some market research around uh, demand in the area, that just turned the switch on for me. But that very first job that I got, um, I was working for a very small agency. There was only about ten staff at the time, and it was a a young female entrepreneur and I just loved that whole experience. She was such an an amazing leader from that point onwards. So was, I want yeah. to do this and be like her. So that was hugely yeah. formative in my early career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So was that a um a market research agent agency as well? Yes. That so that
0: was yeah, that very first company after I graduated ah, right. that okay. I worked I went for. There. Okay.
1: And what was, what was kind of uh, agency life like, I guess? Because, you know, you had a lot of different clients and, and conflict and demands and, and things like that. So was it a bit of a, a baptism of fire, would you say, being thrown into that straight-out of university, Or did you really sort of take to the, the uh, hustle and bustle of it? Well, it was
0: fun, really. And we spent quite a lot of time um, in working in clients in their offices. So that was great as well. So you got the best of both worlds. You got to work in these huge multinational corporations Couple of days yeah. a week, but then back in your small team in the agency. And I think one one thing that was fantastic about that experience was her leadership and her care and mentoring and developing the graduates she took on. Yeah. Um. Partly because she'd grown up through the Mars graduate program and that had been so valuable to her, she wanted to emulate that in a smaller. Yeah. Business. Um. But that really just showed me how you can fast track people coming in very quickly in their skills development if you put the effort in yeah
1: I mean how, how important do you think those those mentors are for somebody in their kind of early career
0: hugely important but not just the mentoring also helping people develop their skills and whether that's learning on the job or spending time together learning the basics um, it's really important to do yeah
1: that. yeah and, and I guess you know if going into some of those larger firms that you that you spend some time in uh, on sort of client client work there's perhaps um you know there's perhaps not not necessarily as much of that if, you know if you've got ten thousand employees it's more difficult maybe to sort of find those find those relationships whereas if you're in a sort of smaller business where naturally the team's closer you get more responsibility and things like that maybe those mentor relationships come a bit easier would you would you say or
0: yeah it's le- it's less hierarchical less rigid um People don't sort of vie for permission, uh, <laughs> position as much as they do in large companies. So I think it, it is more more natural. I mean, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Both sides, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: of course, because I suppose, again, the, the larger companies have more um, resource, I guess, for professional development and things like that sometimes as well. So it definitely goes both ways. Um, so in terms of AcroTAS then, so... Um, you founded that in two thousand and two, but I think you were still you were still kind of doing some other bits and pieces when you founded the business, didn't you? So do you want to just kind of take me through that time and I guess maybe like that first that first moment when you thought, actually I could do this on my own or I could start my own yeah. company, what was what was the kind of moment where where you had that kind of realisation?
0: Well when I left the market research agency I went to work for a law firm in the city of London. Um, And that was a great experience learning about professional services and legal in particular, but also my role there was to bring market research and more professional business planning to what was traditionally not a particularly sort of business minded environment. Um, And it was at that point I first saw the gap in the market, if you like, for sort of knowledgeable market research with that entrenched industry understanding. Um, to be able to sort of truly help them gain competitive advantage, I guess, as law firms. Um, so the the idea started then. Um, at, in my personal life, I wanted to move back to Newcastle at about three to four years into that. And I wasn't quite brave enough. So I, I got a job at Sage, fantastic job as a the group business analyst. Um, and I was there for six months. And I think being around such an entrepreneurial yet large organization... Yeah. Um, gave me that last push to say actually no I don't want to be my career progression to be at the mercy of everybody else I want to take control of this myself so it was that last push to say I'm going to do it
1: yeah 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 no and I think you know with with that there's 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 never really uh, a moment where you always have that moment where you have to just basically do it right you can kind of uh, plan for this that and the other and I'll I'll do this and that will kind of offset this over here but then it just comes that that time right where you have to kind of take the plunge. Um, in j- just going back to kind of the gap in the market that you identified in terms of sort of market research and um, professional services. You know, it, was that because that um, I guess business development and things like that in, in law firms, particularly it was sort of more based on kind of relationships and, and things like that, and perhaps not focused as much on. The kind of hard data and and analysis and things like that you know what was I guess what was that gap in the market that you thought market research could fill?
0: Well at, the, at that sort of early stage in the legal profession when I started working in it it was very much about the legal discipline purely <laughs> and not about other surrounding aspects and I think over the time that I've worked in the legal industry it's had to become the skills have had to become more blended it's be, had to become much more commercial lawyers have to have much more business acumen certainly commercial lawyers um and so they have that need to understand their customers better understand the sectors that their customers work in and even now understanding the technologies and the digital disruption because all yeah. of all of these businesses are changing going through quite major change and if they don't understand it they can't be Truly value adding, yeah, as advisors, um. So it's helping them to to go through that and help them to broaden their understanding and, and just have that deeper knowledge.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important point, isn't it? We we kind of rely on on the the, the people that we uh, instruct to uh, you know in, in these transactions to be kind of at the cutting edge of what's happening in the in the business world. If they're commercial lawyers, right? And I guess back in two thousand two, you thought that market research was. Maybe that at that cutting edge of something that businesses were uh, looking at afresh or that were kind of adopting more and more. Maybe as, uh, you know, the, the market became more competitive, do you think competition maybe has played a, a part in that as well? Yes.
0: So, I mean, I guess what I talked about just then was more them giving a better service, but actually also to understand themselves as a business more. I think they used to think of themselves as more professionals and the work would come to them. Um particularly when the great recession happened, you know, suddenly it was a bit harder that the they used to be able to be so busy. It didn't matter so much. They didn't need to market themselves, develop business. Um, but when that happened, it was a pivotal moment where the kind of power went to the, the client almost. So suddenly they had to say, oh gosh, we've got to modernize. We've yeah. got to do what they want. We can't just be the, the Holy Grail anymore. Yeah. Um, so that really helped to, to change the balance of power and, and make them sort of Grow up more as businesses think about the, their firms as brands, yeah, uh, yeah, and think about their value proposition.
1: Yeah, of course. So, in in, in terms of setting up Acritas, and I think 2008 was probably probably brought some brought some challenges. You know, were there any other challenges that come to mind when you were setting up the business? Uh, was it you know maybe it's around uh, getting the right team? Obviously, you know, proving proving your own. Um, kind of product value proposition and, and things like that were there any yeah, c- sort of key challenges that you came up against when you first started out
0: yeah i mean the first key challenge was um sales <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because i think this is a big problem for most entrepreneurs startups that they think i've got this great idea this great product or service um and everyone will just come to me <laughs>
1: yeah it would be great <laughs> actually
0: reality hits and you think oh my god i've got these people now a team we need to go and get the business it's not just going to come to us so my very first employee actually Joe Summers who ended up being a partner in the business had that natural sales ability so it was amazing to have her because I am not a natural salesperson and for people that aren't that start businesses that needs to be one of their first hires getting someone in who has that ability that mindset that sort of Tenacity to accept yeah. no and just keep going, yeah. and not go and cry in the corner like I would probably <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so, getting the right team around you is so important right from the off.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess the the division of labour, if you like, was um so she would be going out and, and kind of focusing more on business development, and you'd be working more on the kind of product side. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The research. I mean, to begin to begin with, we were quite sort of reactive in terms of we were looking for clients to come to us with a brief I mean maybe Joe was searching out those briefs but it wasn't so much as we had a product to sell it was more a service a bespoke service Um, and I guess a key turning point in the business was when we said you know what a lot of these firms need to be measuring their brands properly none of them have got the money to do it individually so let's set up a, a subscription product let's Risk the money, invest, develop the product, and hope they'll buy it afterwards. Um, and that was, I guess, the turning point because suddenly we had something that they wanted. Yeah. Um, so it became much easier to sell, and not okay. such a long lead time.
1: Was that sharp legal? Was that yes. the, that okay? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think we'll. I think that's a really substantive part. I think of mm. of, of the of the business, and we'll come on to. Um, is that the first kind of key milestone in, in, in your journey with, with Atletas, would you say? I would say
0: that and deciding to go more international, Ooh. which actually happened very close together, kind of one led to the other. Okay. Um, and we'd had a client from a US firm who bought Sharp Legal in the UK and said, oh, you need to come and do that in the US. But actually six months earlier, we'd started going out to the US on sales trips. Okay. okay. So the two coincided and suddenly after that they said well this would be quite interesting to have this in europe this kind of data as well and then the year after it was asia so it, it yeah. became a global product fairly fairly quickly you know okay. two to three years
1: so how was that then how how was that process of uh, you know speaking to people in, in in different markets i mean had you already had a little bit of exposure to that um earlier in your career for for other businesses you know obviously you would you were kind of down uh, in london and work for multinationals yeah. spending time in there and of course um, London is more connected to the rest of the world and other parts of the UK, right? So was that a big um learning curve in terms of speaking to those companies in different countries?
0: Um Yeah, I mean, towards the end of my career with the very first market research agency, I'd started to develop a specialism working for tech, tech companies like 3Com and Lotus and those okay. sorts of companies. And they thought very internationally, which was a step change from FMCG, which would be more localized in the way they did research. Okay, So that was the first foray The law firm was very international and we went through a merger while I was there, Um, SAGE obviously very international. Um, So it it was quite natural but at the same time turning our service into an international one suddenly we had to think about languages
1: Yeah, it's very important
0: to do it in local language Um, so we quite quickly built a multilingual team um, in the interviewing centre which we had but also in our graduate team, the analysts, so that they could understand and interpret and design. Yeah, as well. I
1: guess when you when you're doing market research, right, the you know it, it's no good not kind of understanding the market that you're trying to research mm-hmm. in in a way that's as, as sort of simply as that. I guess uh, even the states, I imagine you had to kind of tweak your approach, um, going out and, and, and sort of surveying people to the approach that you would use in the UK. Was it was the kind of a different. Sort of model in terms of that kind of data collection and things like that for each of the countries. More that you just in.
0: understanding the cultural differences, and it wasn't always a straight translation. For example, it was understanding the way um, people would describe the terminology for the industry, that yeah. that type of thing, and, and things like response rates were very different in different markets. So people are more inclined to do research in some markets compared to others. Okay. Um, so the way you built rapport and got their trust had to be had to be slightly. Different. Different. Okay. But I guess the other aspect was not just doing the work, but selling the work. Suddenly we were having clients all over the world. So we had to be quite brave in terms of thinking about, we're going to spend money on flying out. We might not get any work, but we're going to just have to go for it, go there, go to networking events. Yeah. Spend money on databases, a bit of marketing. Yeah. And press advertising, that type of thing. So it was, it took quite a bit of investment to get that site going. Yeah,
1: of course, of course. And, Were there any really tough moments during that time when you're trying to kind of expand the business? I mean, I'm trying to think of timelines here. Um, Maybe, you know, 2008, did that have an impact on Acrotas at the time? Because, of course, you know, the whole kind of uh, economy that law firms and, and, and people like that kind of. It's their it's their lifeblood and as yeah. it is for, for all the rest of us, just ground well, didn't it? So yeah. did that have an impact?
0: Yeah, and we'd just started the product in two thousand and seven. Oh, all right, okay. Law firms were horrendously hit. So, you know, it took off really fast growth the first two years and then suddenly the <laughs> third year
1: was oh, like oh, right. no. okay, So People you launched Sharp Legal two thousand and seven. Yeah. Okay. In two thousand
0: and nine is when the budgets really got cut.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um so that was a difficult year. Um You know, we had to make some tough decisions in terms of staff and spend and those sorts of things. It wasn't a good year, and we didn't always make the right decisions looking back. Um, But thankfully, in 2010, it came back again quite quickly.
1: Yeah. What kind of got you through that time, do you think? Because obviously those decisions aren't easy to make. Um, Was it that confidence in the underlying sort of business model?
0: I think the confidence in the product, but also the amount of effort we'd put in and the, you know, in the early days, writing presentations, doing analysis till two in the morning and then wow, up at seven nice. to present, you know, it was, it was so intense and to just kind of let all that go would have been heartbreaking. So it was just, all hands to the firm but we're yeah. in this together and we'll we'll just keep going
1: kind of like failure is not an option type, <laughs> yeah. type thing okay yeah. keep calm and carry on as well there's, there's a limitless amount of uh of those we can use um so yeah I guess from that time kind of 2010 2011 um how does that task kind of progress from there and you know any other major highlights and and maybe you know talk a little bit about what you're most proud of about mm-hmm. running that business
0: um, so in terms of change from then, the, the product had been all about the clients of law firms and measuring their perceptions of law firm brands and the buying experience and how they wanted firms to change. So we thought it would be interesting to actually look at it from the other angle, which was the talent angle. So we started to survey lawyers within law firms to say, what's it like to work there? Mm. You know, How could it be better? This is an area that needs a lot more work. Um but also how can clients of law firms be better clients because the way they instruct affects the ability to give a good service. So we tried to get that sort of 360 view.
1: Okay, Um, so that that was a big kind of, uh, I guess, uh, innovation of the service, if you like.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and and finding out what are the secrets of success, so using a kind of big data approach to say when, when a client has a fabulous experience, and here we'll be talking about thousands of clients, so we could apply that analysis you know what are they doing differently as talent so an example would be we found that those that were much more collaborative and built re- more internal relationships and worked together more often with different people actually much higher performance in terms of the client satisfaction but also them growing share okay. of fees and that type of thing okay. so
1: so you were able to understand kind of what aspects of the service were leading to the best outcomes for the yes, clients. the
0: client and for the firm themselves in terms right. of they were getting a higher spend and okay. higher rates and, and that sort of thing. And it was at that time we got some attention from Harvard Law School. All right, okay. Um, so they started to feature some of our work on their courses for their executive education courses, which were for law firm leaders. Right. And I got to go and teach um, a couple of times a year on their leadership course. How was so that then? So it was fantastic. Uh,
1: Massachusetts is it Massachusetts? Is that in Boston, it is? Yeah. Oh right, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So what was what was that like then? The, oh, obviously it quite a, it's quite a small, well known university, I think, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah.
0: And that gave us credentials. Um, because the US market we'd been fairly successful in. It was as big as the UK for us, but you know, opportunity wise it could have been ten times the size. So it gave us that extra credentials. Kind of stamp in the market, you know. If it's good enough for Harvard. It's good enough for yeah. the law firms out there. So that was a, another step change, I would say, in in being able to sell more.
1: Really enabled you to kind of kick on in, in yeah. the US market. Okay, okay. Um, and you you mentioned sort of the talent, the talent side of things as well. So was was a part of the research that you were doing, sort of internal staff surveys in some of these large firms as well, to help them understand why people were leaving and why people were attracted or weren't attracted to, to. I mean, talent, of course, is a massive issue for all businesses right now, but I guess maybe for law firms, it's kind of yeah. always been that way.
0: Yeah. And the, uh, many of them aren't keen to do that type of survey, but because we were doing it anyway, again, you know, we had the data. Yeah. So then they were just buying it from us. So we'd already have surveyed 50, 60 people at their organization and often the most senior partners. So, it just gave them that reason to purchase without having to go through the pain of doing their own survey
1: okay and in terms of kind of technology um was that a big part of of of, this, of the service as well were there were there specific kind of uh, applications and platforms and things like that that you used to kind of gather research um you know from Presumably thousands of of different uh, data points and things like that was uh, was technology a kind of big part of the of the journey with Aquatas as well?
0: Yeah, huge, and it's something we were never sort of light in terms of spending. We it always was painful. Yeah, (laughs) but we knew we're doing the right thing in terms of the kit. You know, we use going around to see clients, and the technology we use for doing the the surveys and then for analysing the surveys. And in the latter few years, it was more around building and digital insights platform Um, and in the end that was what the companies that were looking to buy us were all most interested in this platform that we'd built so that people could play with the data themselves yeah it was constantly refreshing Um, yeah so that and that's the way in general that market research is heading now
1: yeah of course of course I I guess it's kind of you you kind of host the data for the client and they can kind of draw their own insights from it as, as and kind of opening the door, if you like, a little bit to the market research process for people.
0: Yeah. I yeah. mean I would still say what was our USP was that our client service and I are holding clients' hands throughout the data sort of understanding process. Yeah. So we go in, we'd do workshops. Can't imagine it's easy
1: to decipher what well, this stuff quite means, right? It's hard
0: and complex and it's not their day job. So that was so important. And the question you asked earlier, what would what would I be most proud of? was the service, that sort of white glove service that we gave to clients. And yeah. they really came to rely on it, it became an important yeah. part of how they developed their strategies and went to market.
1: Yeah, and, and in terms of what you attribute to that great service, is it the team that you were kind of able to appoint throughout in the different geographies that you were working yeah, in? Yeah,
0: the team was amazing. And that culture we had of it really matters that the client gets value from this. Um so people would go the extra mile, often to their own cost in terms of well being. That was something we could have worked harder at. Yeah. Um that it you know, that they felt that they were really passionate about clients and okay. passionate about them getting value.
1: Perfect, perfect. So just to kind of circle back to Sharp Legal a little bit then, um so that was I guess the 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 f- kind of this the front end of, of the company towards the latter years, right? Well, that was this this platform that uh, law firms could subscribe to, right? Yeah. So w- was that what attracted uh, Reuters, basically?
0: Um, um, yeah, I think the fact that we had these two global surveys that had become the go-to surveys for all big law firms globally.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so it would be very hard for somebody else to recreate something when most people are already buying into that one okay. or those two. <laughs> Um, so it was the, the data itself, but also the fact that we'd built this platform. As yeah. it happened, they rebuilt a different platform because it wasn't the way they would have done it. <laughs> oh,
1: all right, okay. <laughs> you
0: know, in terms of the data side, all that structure was already there. So okay. they just rebuilt the front end, really.
1: Okay. So it, so it became one of the biggest uh, sort of s- surveys of law firms globally, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, well, I guess, what do, you, um, what do you attribute that to? Just, obviously, years of hard work, right, I suppose? Yeah,
0: and I think understanding the science behind it, so understanding what kind of sample sizes you needed, um, and that yeah. goes back to the scientific days.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. So you were obviously, you know, that was where your skill set really kind of came in handy, right?
0: That, and this time I spent at a law firm, so I had that first-hand experience of understanding how a law firm works. Yeah, and what their needs were. And the challenges that they were they were facing.
1: Yeah. Were there any kind of markets globally that you weren't able to kind of uh, really sort of get into or, or um, you know, perhaps, obviously, the US, I think, was really successful for you guys. But, yeah, were there any places where um, you knew that, that kind of presence that you had in the US and elsewhere? Any experiences like that? Or was it pretty well kind of received everywhere you, you, you took it?
0: Um. Australia was great, and we did a few trips out there. We had quite a lot of clients there. I would say if I went to the one that hadn't worked so well would be sort of China, Japan, those markets yeah. where legal isn't seen as important as it is in other markets. It's not as important a function. Okay. Um So, the and I think we just struggled because the language is so much more difficult.
1: Yeah. It's like you mentioned earlier, right? Those kind of um, that kind of understanding of the culture of these different places yeah. was as important as. As, as, as being able to do the work there
0: it was harder for us to build trust to get as many interviews as we should have had yeah okay. in those markets they were probably weaker spots okay um, okay
1: us. perfect so obviously um aquitas was acquired by uh writers in, in in 2019 so yeah what was that what was that experience like for you did you get a phone call from somebody at writers saying we'd like to you know how yeah had you um, had you already entertained the idea of selling the business uh, prior to their interest, or was it their interest that kind of gave you the the uh, a decision to make?
0: There was actually two other companies that had approached us in the preceding months who we'd started talking to quite seriously. Um, but we'd had quite a close working relationship with Thomson Reuters. We did quite a lot of their thought leadership research. They would write about our data. Um, so I felt like I needed to tell them that this might be going to happen and <laughs> would take away some of that relationship um, and it was at that point then they called quite soon after that conversation to say well we'd like to acquire you so okay, kind of okay. just took over as they do <laughs> yeah
1: of course <laughs> and of eight course. weeks
0: later we were sold to them so.
1: oh right so it was a quite a quick turnaround yeah it right? wasn't okay.
0: I mean then these things are never easy um, but yeah. it wasn't too painful
1: as I can imagine you probably had a couple of law firms that you could uh, go to right <laughs> for ad- for the advice for, for the uh, sale of the business yeah, maybe one or two that you could have worked with. Yeah, yeah. but
0: we ended up using the same one that had supported us for the previous 15 years. goes so. back to those relationships, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and, and we wanted to use a local firm as well. Oh, so.
1: perfect, perfect. And yeah, I think, how did you feel about selling the business that, that you'd obviously been part of for, I guess, at that time, right? You know, 15, 15 plus years, right? Mm. And, you know, those difficult moments uh, post-2008 uh, and, and probably many other ones in, in between. Um, You know, what was it, what was it like to kind of, I guess because you sort of continued on um, at Reuters afterwards, right? So, you know, I guess you weren't, you probably weren't really like selling the business and then having nothing to do Mm -hmm. with it. So, yeah, I guess, but it was still a difficult decision at the time.
0: It was, but I think I was ready to, to sell the thing often these things don't come as a surprise you've probably had conversations along the years that have led to it and for me I think I'd taken it probably as far as it could go at the next stage was much faster growth and I needed a really big sales force, um, much more global operations, I need much more stronger technology platform and, and skill sets in the business and it was just at that point I thought well the natural owner for the business now isn't really me anymore. It needs to be something yeah. bigger with those resources. Um, and also for me personally, I was traveling a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I had two daughters and I wanted to spend more time with them um, without, as it happened, the pandemic happened. and I didn't need to yeah. travel as much <laughs> anyway and the business works without that. But at the time we were all in this crazy of mindset of every time we had a meeting, we had to get on a plane or a train. So
1: yeah yeah do you think that's um kind of over and done with in terms of jetting off for a one-hour meeting
0: i think that is over and done with for most people um but i think we will see see a return of people getting together Oh, we're already seeing a lot of the big conferences come back Um, and i think relationships both within bigger organizations and between suppliers and clients do benefit from that in-person contact it's not essential anymore but I think you build a stronger relationship. That yeah, way.
1: yes. There's still be elements elements of it, uh, and I guess when you made that decision to to, to obviously sell the business, it, did I? You know, thinking about the, the, the trajectory, like you say, that Acquitas had been on, um, you know, during during your time with the company, do you think there comes a time in the life of every company where the 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 growth potential gives you that decision to make where it's you 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 kind of go from, um you know fifty or a hundred staff or something like that to suddenly having to, you know hire hundreds of of people the investment and, and things like that and I guess, for you that decision was I think this is this you know it would be a better time to to, uh, to 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 sell the business let let it kind of, um live up to its live up to its potential. But yeah, I don't want to be a, a eighty hour a week yeah. kind of CEO, right? Traveling all over the world yeah. and, and everything else that comes along with that. Was that the kind of decision that that you had to make? And of course, it's a it's a it's a nice problem to have because it shows that the business has been hugely successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's always the it's always the right decision to sell mm. for every company, and it depends on the individual circumstances of the person at the top but for me it was the the right time I mean I don't think it's the end of me starting businesses <laughs> definitely not. but it just for me to be been a quite a long hard slog and I'm, I'm the so, sort of person that rolls my sleeves up and gets involved so yeah. I couldn't have stepped back like some people managed to successfully do and still have a fast growing business yeah and I, I had to be in there 100% or 100 20%. Yeah right
1: okay so I'm yeah I'm starting to I'm starting to feel like you're quite hands on right yes. so yeah
0: so I just had to get I had to get some me time you know? yeah I had kids without having much maternity leave and
1: yeah all the sacrifices that you have yeah. to make right if you want to and be it was successful just time to
0: have a, a little business. bit of time back
1: for you okay and and I guess what was um, the two years after you sold like then so did were you kind of retained by the company to continue to advise on on the development of sharp legal and these other things
0: yeah so i was um of part of the deal if you like to stay um a couple of years which i did um to help integrate but it it's very difficult when it's been your baby (laughs) to hand over the reins to someone else um and you don't necessarily agree with all the decisions that they make um and also it's a we were a tiny part of a massive company so we weren't always the first priority yeah So it it was a great experience, but for me, it wasn't the right place for me to be. Okay. And I know that if I started, if I, you know, start seriously working again, then it's not going to be, it's going to be something when I'm much more in control. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there's a theme. Control freak. (laughs) Yeah, there's a theme, there's a theme coming through here. But no, (laughs) of of course, uh, people have um, their own own ways of, of working and I think when you've, and it's probably sacrificed as much as, as you have over the years and all that traveling and various other things, then you want to be able to be in a position where you say, right, this is, what, yeah. this is the type of business that I want to be involved with and this is how I want to be involved.
0: But, okay. I mean, sometimes it would be to the detriment of the business because there are decisions that they made which were pretty tough about products and services and about staff that yeah. I would never have made. For me, it was everything we did was about the best possible customer experience you know, great opportunities for staff. Yeah. They were much more rigid, and if it didn't conform to certain profitability or growth yeah. targets, or, you know, they have certain boundaries for staffing pay increases, and, yeah. you know, it was much more rigid. Yeah. Much more successful, <laughs>
1: obviously, <laughs> as
0: a result, yeah. but it doesn't give the same satisfaction.
1: I mean, you know, I think it, it's it's where the accountability lies, isn't it? Right for mm-hmm. for for a company like that, it's to it's to shareholders, yeah. you know, and 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 there's you know, you know, some of the most successful companies in the world, or almost all of them, are, are, are running are running that way. But I think, like you say, when you've perhaps you know it's been your your baby, if you mm-hmm. like, it might have been that might have been quite difficult for you. So April 2022, then I think I've got my dates right there. So that's when you sort of part company with with Thomson Reuters. Yeah. And uh, have a break? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that, that was the plan. It doesn't, that was the seem, plan. To it doesn't seem to be going that happened. way. Right, okay.
1: okay. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe talk a little bit about what you've been doing over the last few months.
0: Well, when um, Thomson Reuters decided to close the offices, I still owned the offices. So I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with them? I don't really want to not have them because... I love the building, yeah. I love where it is, um, and I wanted to be, as we talked about right at the outset, I wanted to be back in an office environment. So that was when I thought about opening some sort of co-working-type facility. When I used to be in London, we were in a WeWork, work, and I could oh, see yeah. the, yeah, the, yeah. the dynam- dynamic environment that yeah. created in terms of lots of little office suites, but also co-working areas. So it was kind of with that in mind, setting up something um, – things that I talked about in the LinkedIn post I put out recently, it it needed to be a nice environment. We went for a sort of Soho house type vibe to the place we created with a bar and lounge area and and those types of aspects. So I'm trying to create somewhere that people who are generally working from home, um, there's somewhere they can go. Where they can go and they can interact, connect.
1: Yeah. um, And maybe find customers you know or, yeah. or, or you know find uh service providers and and, and things or collaborate
0: like that. or whatever yeah. it might be but just that place where you can go in, in, in an environment you can thrive in as opposed yeah. to to struggling at home so that that's the idea and it might be that people only come in a few hours a week it might be that they're full-time yeah. um, and everything in between
1: yeah I mean of course it's 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 fairly early days right with yeah. with that uh with with the lamp house so you, you I guess you're you kind of thrust way back into where you were sort of you know 20 20 years ago right and say I'm not really sure what's going to happen with this we'll see if it goes in this direction that direction but yeah how, how have people kind of res- responded to it then in, in some of the initial conversations you've had
0: it's I mean I'm not gonna lie it's been hard work getting people to be aware of it and getting mm. them in um but we're working a lot harder I mean talking about Rolling your sleeves up, I was out dropping leaflets on Sunday all round
1: oh, the right. local okay. streets. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so you can't let it go. Yeah, no, you can't.
0: <laughs> um, but now we've we've just opened a coffee shop in there. Um, oh, perfect! On Monday, so um, we've collaborated with Sollybox Box to do that. Who already had one place in in Four Lane Ends, um, so that's going to, I think, bring a bit more traffic, a bit more of a vibe yeah. to the place. Yeah. Um, it's an exciting to,
1: new challenge for you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. it's fair.
0: I mean, I'm mean, i not meaning for it to be my day job. I've appointed a centre manager who's going to okay. deal with that. Um, but it's a big passion of mine to to make yeah. it work. Yeah. And then yeah. I've also set up another consultancy, which is quite small at the moment. Um, we're doing a project, funnily enough, for Reuters now. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> but yes.
1: Market research stuff again.
0: Uh, more consultancy advice on some of the work that they're doing. Not my old company part. Okay. Um, the Another. Reuters news part.
1: Ah, right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So there's a, f- yeah, few, few sort few of, a few other plans yeah. in the pipeline. Okay, cool. So I just had a couple of kind of advice uh, questions and things like that, really. So I think, firstly, and I imagine it's something that you've said till you're blue in the face, but you know, why is it important for businesses to do market research, generally speaking? And are there certain types of businesses that really need to do it if they're yeah. not doing it already kind of yeah what what are some of those benefits and, and and perhaps what would you say to a an SME perhaps who who you know could benefit from market research but isn't doing it currently for for whatever reason what would you what would your advice be for them
0: for me market research is about removing the doubt stopping stopping guessing um giving you a more definitive answer (laughs) you know often when companies small and big make decisions and make investment choices they're doing it on gut feel or who has the strongest opinion in the room and doing market research when it's the right thing to do just takes away that element of doubt and points to the right direction the right choice to make
1: yeah yeah I think it it kind of reduces the the margin for error perhaps Mm -hmm. or and yeah, I, I, I guess, would you say that decision-making in terms of informing decision-making is probably the biggest the biggest benefit? Yeah,
0: informing decision-making, helping to gain competitive advantage, sometimes finding answers that you wouldn't have even thought of in the first place yeah. um, rather than just confirming the choice of, of one way to go. So it's, yeah. it's just being informed.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess perhaps where some companies may be hesitant is that they don't want it to be the answer that they don't yeah. want, right? But so how do those conversations go when you kind of have an idea of the goals that the the business has got? Um and then you've gone to market and you've done that analysis and you really find that perhaps what their plans are maybe aren't uh, aligned to what yeah. the need is in the market. Are those quite difficult conversations to have?
0: They can be, especially for the person whose passion and idea it was. Um But sometimes there does need to be a leap of faith. Sometimes people in the market can't see the famous one that the iPod, you know, failed on the initial market research. It's not always going to give you the right answer. So that's about understanding the evolution of the market, in those cases, talking to early adopters and those types Mm. of people who can foresee the way a market might go. So it's never black and white. But you do need to be prepared to stand behind the research and say, it doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are the facts coming out. What you do then decide to do with that information is up, is to, up you. to you. Okay.
1: Okay. And then in, in terms of for entrepreneurs then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, such as yourself, um, thinking back to um, advice you would have given to your younger self or to, to someone in a, in a similar position as you are, as you were, sorry, um, Yeah. I guess, what what kind of traits, attributes, mindsets do entrepreneurs need to, or aspiring entrepreneurs need to kind of have? Is it that kind of hard work, first and foremost, or are there other things? That helps. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Perseverance, you know, not giving up at the first hurdle, that's a critical one. Um, Being aware of what you're not good at very early on and being honest about that, and then fulfilling that filling that gap with either bringing on other people or using external providers and um, to help fill that gap it's really really important particularly if that's in the sales and marketing area or the finance area you know they're all so important individually yeah you need to have them in the mix somehow
1: yeah so in, investing in in team is a, is a really big thing that that, uh, that they have to get right because I guess a lot of entrepreneurs they have that Big idea, the blue sky thinking, right? But of course, you still have to have those, uh, you know, those finance and operations and digital and marketing, those, those sort of yeah. disciplines need to be uh, part of the mix if, if you're going to be successful.
0: Right? But one of the great things about this sort of new, more flexible world is it doesn't always mean hiring in a full-time person. So many more people are freelance or contractors or um, want to work part-time. Um, so you can get access to those skills in in sort of non-traditional ways now.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. And then, yeah, any any other bits of advice, thinking back about um, your career and, and, and everything that you've you know, experienced? Are there, are there any other sort of bits of advice that you would give to people?
0: Being brave, I guess. Not silly brave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being brave and, and being confident. And if you truly believe that, you've got the right concept, and you've had some validation yeah.
1: externally
0: from people that know as opposed to yeah. or perhaps done some <laughs> market re- Yeah,
1: perhaps done some market research, right? Yes, yeah. doing yeah. some yeah. research.
0: And it doesn't have to be professional research via an agency, depending on the scale of the business. Yeah. you know, Going out and doing your own market research, it's, it's been amazing watching this guy who's opened the coffee shop, I am Charlie. He's been out on the street taking the bits of coffee out, getting yeah. people to test asking them about where they go he's
1: been doing market research right okay informally
0: but you know it can take all forms
1: yeah yeah I think that's yeah such a such a key point it's not thinking that everything has to be this super perfect high fidelity Mm -hmm. uh example of of the the process you know it's just you know doing something that you can do and, and and you know replicating that and doing it well
0: yeah switching on your commercial brain and getting out there getting out from behind the desk or the counter or whatever it is
1: perfect perfect and then yeah i guess um you know last last sort of question lisa is how are you feeling about the future of the legal sector and the future Mm -hmm. of of you know business more broadly obviously post COVID, we've got this these inflationary kind of challenges and things like that now so um, yeah, how are you sort of thinking about the future? And obviously, you're, you, know, you know, where you fit into that with the consultancy, with, with, with Lamp House. Yeah, is it, uh, is it a bit of a scary time at the moment, would you say? Or, or do you think that will sort of get through as we have through so many other crises? Yeah,
0: oh, well, it's very scary economically with the state of inflation and, and all of the other concerns. I think the other thing that's a massive concern is the climate change that that's happening one of the things i've just signed up to is to do a course in into sustainability to understand it better yeah so i think with the economic and the war and the climate there's some really fundamental world problems yeah that are getting closer and closer and i think every business is going to have to play its part in trying to help to resolve or slow down some of those aspects so in that is opportunity yeah. Um, and it's something that we can't run away from.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, throughout sort of the last couple of years where there's been those kind of more near-term crises that you've been able to see at the petrol pump or, you know, you've been able to see when you've been sort of staring at the same four walls uh, all day. But, yeah, the, the the climate change and issues around sustainability is uh, that kind of sleeping giant, if you like, yeah. I think, that, that perhaps is going to come to the fore even more over the next few years. And
0: if you think about how we all had to respond to the pandemic and we did it globally. Yeah. If we can try and create that same sense of urgency around some of these other problems, then we'll start to make some progress. We'll be all right. Hopefully.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Lisa, uh, for for speaking to me. That's been a really fascinating conversation. And in terms of um, where people can kind of get hold of you or where people can... Find out more about uh, the lamp house in terms of where would you sort of signpost people to if they want to find out more?
0: Yeah, just via the lamp house, which is the lamphouse.co.uk. Perfect. Um, you can send an email there or look at the website and then.
1: Perfect. Reach that can out. get
0: to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll get to you somehow. <laughs> right. Or on
0: LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Perfect. Cool. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, Lisa, and good luck.
0: Thank you, Richard.
1: So that was Lisa Hart Shepherd there taking us right through the fascinating journey she's been on over the last 20 years or so since she took the leap and launched Acritas back in 2002. Lots of insights to pass out there but I think a good place to start is at that point in 2002 because what's clear is that Lisa had the confidence to start her own business because she'd seen a gap in the market. Law firms weren't really utilizing market research effectively, despite the fact that the legal sector was and is one of the most competitive sectors out there, and so Lisa saw an opportunity and took it. That's really one of the age-old adages, you know, building a business to fill a gap in the market, that still remains one of the most surefire ways to be successful, and that point can't really be overstated. Something else to highlight was what Lisa calls thinking internationally. It takes almost as much courage to expand a business into another country as it does to set one up in the first place. But what got Lisa through was the relationships she'd established overseas prior to committing the time and money required. Again, it's the basic things done well yielding results. But particularly if you're looking to sell into professional services, having those solid relationships and a strong network can make all the difference when you're trying to get yourself known. And then in terms of attributes that every entrepreneur needs to have in their locker for Lisa, it's all about perseverance and believing in what you're trying to do, and also being aware of the things that you can't do and where you might need to get some help. While clearly you have to wear a lot of hats when you're setting up a business, the best businesses are usually built by the best teams rather than any particular individual. And of course, I couldn't finish off without highlighting some of Lisa's wisdom on market research. She said that too often companies make decisions based on gut instinct or whoever has the loudest voice but if you really want to know what your customers are looking for the best way to do that is to ask them so do keep that in mind when you're planning your next move. So as always thanks so much to Lisa it was great to chat to her face to face for this one and thanks so much for listening.